Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in scripture. Well, we're here today, podcast number two uh, by Light Bears, where we summarize our institute teachings of the week. And uh, our goal is to interview uh, someone who taught uh, that particular institute. And so we're here today with Andrew Brill. Andrew is our discipleship director uh, at Light Bears, has been here for over 10 years. And really, uh, Andrew, have architect this thing from the beginning. Of course, you and I were together. We, I remember the whiteboards. I remember... Uh, all of the blank sheets and the trash cans. Full Definitely of... whiteboards there. Whatever else we know, there are whiteboards. <laughs> exactly. You can't function without them. Um, I can't function without them. But um, So yeah, we were there uh, talking through um, what an institute would be. And, and I remember a certain student that was just weeping at the their lack of knowledge of the Bible. And, and it caused us to, to realize that we have to address this thing called biblical literacy and doctrinal soundness along with that. And so with that created this, the Institute. And really since that uh, first year or so, uh, you've really taken this, you've, you've made it amazing. And uh, my own children are involved, um, certainly blessed that way. And, and so today we're going to talk about a section that you've recently taught. We're going to get in Genesis 16 through 50. Uh, before we do, though, I want to read um, a message we just got this morning about a, a, a Light Bear student, and I want to get your reaction to it, because I think it really speaks well to how the Institute frames up in our overall discipleship community and maybe um, touching on some of the goals that you have as a director of discipleship. Here's the text. It says, a new girl to Light Bears came in today saying she never knew that God's word was valuable or that we should even read it until our orientation and a few conversations with her roommates. She then proceeded to say that she's been reading, but has no idea where to start and doesn't know all the Bible stories like others seem to. She was thrilled that we are doing biblical survey at Institute. Our staff says, then I got the dream question, how do I study my Bible? We walk through God, man, response together, and she's eager to start reading John. So just raw, how does that strike you when you hear a testimony like that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, you hear dream question and I think, man, that, that is the case. If you're, if you're working in ministry, those are the moments that you, you really dream of, of a student, an individual coming to you and saying, how do I, you know, fill in the blank? And so those are really, those are really great and sweet moments. Um, I think the thing about that, that really seems natural and, and fits what we want to do is, is you look at this. Um, this student had a series of influences around them. And then she, she talks about, okay, there was an orientation, there was a teaching there, there's roommates that I'm interacting with, now I'm coming to a, to a mentor, to somebody in my life and saying, how do I, how do I study my Bible? And I just think that, that that's pretty typical for, for all of us, but if we look at college students in particular, that, that makes a lot of sense to say, hey, it's not an isolated where you just, you're sitting in one relationship and that's where you get all of your spiritual feeding or, or any life teaching. I mean, really, it's a series of relationships. We use the phrase ecosystem sometimes. It's like we want to place a student in a series of healthy relationships in an ecosystem. And so we, we place them with a mentor from their church. We place them with three other roommates, one of which is a, a house leader. We give them this, this institute teaching where they're hearing from local pastors and then we're going to expose them to missions as well. And so in all of that, they're getting different voices, but different voices saying similar things, all pointing them to Scripture. We're infusing that community with truth, with Scripture, 
And then in that process, plug them back into their church as well. So they have a great place to pour back out uh, in that process. And so Institute's a piece of that because it's really just the, it's the teaching mechanism within that. It's the, hey, how do we safeguard and make sure our students are hearing truth and getting a big picture of scripture, not simply, you know, uh, bite-sized pieces that don't talk about the whole as we've talked about before. It's good. It's so encouraging too when you architect this thing and you put the work into it and certainly prayerful and, and, um, and then we get a testimony like this. What does that say to you personally? I mean, I think about the, the work, uh, and the staff work and and obviously as, as a teacher of Institute, knowing those types of students are sitting out there with a comment of, I didn't even know I was supposed to read my Bible. Um, what does that do for you as a teacher or discipler? I think, you know, one of the verses that we have used just conversationally, or found myself using it in recent weeks and months is, uh, first Corinthians where Paul says some plant, some water, God gives the growth. I think it's just this good reminder there. You know, I, I I don't know who this girl is. I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't involved in her, in her life. Most of our staff wasn't, most of our mentors weren't, but, but if we can be faithful with what we're called to do, planting, watering in the individual conversations that we have, being faithful to accurately speak scripture in that moment. If we can do those things, then it's a really freeing thing to say, we're going to trust that God gives the growth. And there's going to be, and we've had lots of stories. I mean, Kevin, you know this about lots of stories that don't end that well. And then you have stories that do end well. And so either way, we want to be faithful to plant and to water. And so I think that the affirming piece to me is, Okay, God does give the growth, and He's going to do it when He decides is best. But it's motivating to me to continue to be faithful to plant and to water uh, is probably what I would say. But I mean, it's also just fun to see fruit at the end of the day. I mean, let's just be honest; it's fun to see fruit. <laughs> it is. So. It's fun to think through the years and where we started uh, with just a, a couple of students, and um, you know, we laughed that we had eight students. When we bought our first apartment complex. It had 228 beds, but the 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 goal was to build this ecosystem. Yeah. And, and certainly, the Lord's been good and faithful, and it's good to get those encouraging yeah. ones. So, and and I have days of, um, you know, looking back. I mean, I had one of these recently. Of okay, let's look at the people I've poured into in my life. How well are they doing? You kind of shrug your shoulders, and and you have moments of, ah, they're not, the, there's people that I've really invested in well who are. They're in sin in their lives, or you know, and so you have discouraging days like that. And so nuggets like this is okay. There's there, there's good stuff happening, and so that's that's a blessing that the Lord would give us moments like that. I love it. I think, um, yeah, the last chapter of Nehemiah. You see Nehemiah after doing his life work has that sort of same thing that I've certainly experienced regularly too. And he says, you know, was it enough? Mm-hmm. You know, only let it be enough. You know, this sort of crying out, knowing that if the Lord doesn't bring the growth, the increase, the changed heart, then uh, then we're really not with any hope, you know, in, in our efforts, but he, he does, and he's, he's good and he honors his word. And so Institute particularly is that part for us. We, we certainly equip our mentors and give them resources to get into the word. And we hope that happens regularly, but, but the more formal thing that we try to do with our students is the Institute. So typically, Andrew, you taught the other night, typically it's an hour and a half. Uh, you're, you're unpacking a, a certain, um, passage of scripture. We do, them um, you know, on a syllabus, uh, 26 uh, times, through a year will get us from Genesis Revelation. So in the last podcast, we covered Genesis 1 through Genesis 15. And part of what we talked about was how God dealt with a mankind in general up to the end of chapter 11. Starting in verse 12, we meet this guy. His name is Abram. We know is Abraham eventually. 
and that really begins your section, you know, as you look at sort of chapter 16 through chapter 50. And God begins to establish this family tree. So you taught in Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, this week, and you talked about that family line. Um, to set up that story, um, talk about that again. Kind of give our listeners a, an idea of what that means. Yeah, Kevin, you and I were talking earlier, and you used the phrase, it moves from the general to the particular. And so Genesis 1 through 11, it's this, okay, there's, you know, the all of creation has begun, and then, okay, there's this, this worldwide flood over, you know, at the time of Noah, and there's a, a long genealogy called the Table of Nations, and in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, we see the Tower of Babel, where where God splits the people into people groups. And and so then 12 begins the story of Abraham. And so out of everyone that has been split up, out of all of the nations that have been split up, God still hasn't forgotten that he needs, uh, needs is the wrong word there, but that he is working to gain a people for himself. And so out of all the people that have been scattered over the earth, he reaches out to, to, to Abram and he calls Abram. And so so Abram begins this new family line out of all of the peoples of the of the nations. And so really the rest of Genesis is just his line. And and so whereas the first 11 chapters cover, you know, in a sense countless generations from Genesis 12 to the end of Genesis, really we cover four generations. And so you have you have Abram uh, he he covers chapter twelve to about twenty five. Then you have a couple of chapters of his son Isaac. So Abram has uh, a few kids, but Isaac is the one that the promise is going to come through. Isaac has uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the promise is going to go through Jacob. And then Jacob has twelve sons and a, and a daughter. And 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 um, and we focus on on Joseph, or at least the story of Genesis focus on Joseph. And so that's what when I was at. At Stillwater, we, we talked about whiteboards earlier. That's what I did on the whiteboard is it just drew that family line up there to say, okay, here's the four generations. Because I think as you move through Genesis, it can feel like isolated stories a little bit, but really it's just, you know, great grandfather, grandfather, father, son. And that's how it that's how it progresses through. Yeah, we forget, I think, that we talk about the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Israel was a person, mm-hmm. right? And so we're really talking about an extended family that um that God chooses to dwell among. And, and, and so let's talk about Abraham particularly, because in your talk, I mean, you have to um, dive in on a few things. You can't, you can't cover everything. And so you particularly spent time on Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. And Abraham, you use this phrase that he's a faithful friend of God. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah, so faithful, the, the, the full with, with two L's, but, but let me flip it and let me talk about friend first. I think that so there's two people in the Old Testament that are identified as the friend of God, and uh, and Abram's one of them. That's not saying others weren't friends of God, but just in terms of that title is given to a couple different people. And, and, and I, I like to draw that out because when we look at the life of Abraham, I think one of the things that we see is just that he had a long relationship with the Lord. We see these stories as one following right after the other, but there's years, decades in between these events. And so um, the you know the best estimate that I can come up with as I was doing as I was doing some study on this is that he's probably about sixty when he's called. He's seventy five years old when he's promised a child. Uh, his his first son Ishmael is born when he's eighty six. His name is changed from Abram to Abraham at ninety nine. Isaac is born at hundred. I mean, so so we read these things. You know, if you're doing a Bible reading plan, you read some of these things in 15, 20 minutes. It's forty years. It's fifty mm-hmm. years that you're that you're walking through and. And we don't get all the story. And, and and so I think that it's a good reminder to us to say walking with the Lord is a it's a long term thing and it's not a thing that is 
I mean, to be honest, every day is this, you know, this magical moment. I mean, there are, there are good days and bad days and days where we do well and days where we screw up and, and we get to see that in Abram. And so that's where I like the term friend of God, because we get to see him in relationship with the Lord, which to be honest is something that I've always kind of said, okay, what does that look like? And I think Abraham is a little bit of a picture of that. Not, not exactly. Obviously we're in a different situation, but, uh, but there is something there that we can learn from. And, you know, Isaiah talks about calling the people to learn from the patriarchs. And so I think a lot of this is looking at the patriarchs, patriarchs as were the, you know, the kind of the fathers of the faith, looking at them and seeing what do we learn. And so from Abraham, I think we learned something of what it means to be a friend of God. And then I think faithful to else, he's a man who's full of faith. Hebrews 11 talks about him at length saying, this was a man who had faith. Um, and, and so I, I, I like to dive in on Genesis 22, which is the moment where God calls him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And so he, he walks, you know, it says that basically he gets up and he loads wood on Isaac's back and he goes. And so it's the first time the word obey is used in scripture. And so faith and obedience are just, they're just tied together in a way you can't, you can't separate them. His faith is seen in the fact that he steps out and, and obeys. And, and then Hebrews 11 says, in faith, he, he offered up his son, believing he'd receive him back from the dead. His, I mean, what, what he essentially did is he said, God's promised me I'm going to have a son. Now God's commanded me to kill my son. I, I, what's his solution to that? His solution to that, Hebrews 11 tells us, is that he assumes, believes Isaac is going to be raised from the dead. And it's just this powerful moment of what is faith? Faith is is acting on what God has said, whether or not it makes sense. And so that's why I look at Abraham as this faithful friend, because he has faith, he's full of faith, and he's a model to us of, of what that looks like. I think it's a great point. I love uh, the statement about faith and obedience uh, sort of being tied together. And you you see that throughout Hebrews 11, right? Every time it's a by faith, and then they, it lists what they did. And we get this great understanding that it was counted to Abraham as righteousness, mm-hmm. right? It's still, it's still the Lord, obviously God extending that mercy in his life and kindness to count it as righteousness. We knew that we know that works don't produce righteousness, but we also know that faith without works is dead faith. Mm-hmm. And so you get this great picture from, from the beginning really of the, this, this pinnacle uh, person that God has called out to be the a model and, and really a, um, a father in a sense to Judaism and Christianity alike and yet we know that um, as Christians that Abraham was pointing to not only a city to come that he was walking towards, but a savior, a seed to come from his line. And so I think it's a great point. And, and the idea of being a friend of God is, I've heard someone say, it's, it's a long walk in the same direction. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we live oftentimes from inspirational message to the to an inspirational book, to a devotional guide. And sometimes we can feel like we, we fail because every day can't look like it we read on the pages and, uh, and we see Abraham in a sense, he's a comforter in that. Right. Right. Yeah. It is to me. So you went from Abraham, you spent a lot of time in Jacob with Jacob's life as well. And there's one story in particular, we have this story in Genesis 28, where you have this vision of a ladder and angels are going up and down. And, uh, you know, I don't know that you spent enough time on the U2 song about it, but, uh, no, uh, so talk about that. I mean, talk about that moment. Why focus on this vision of a ladder when you're thinking about Jacob's life? Yeah, I think um, it's it's a dramatic moment when you read it in context, when you read it through Genesis, because what ha- what's happened is Jacob has left his home. So this is him, you know, we've, we've seen him a little bit so far, and essentially what he's done is he's 
you know, he's gotten two things so far, a birthright and a blessing, and he's stolen both of them. So everything he's had, he's stolen. His brother is out to kill him. His dad, you know, is upset with him on some level, obviously, for stealing a blessing. And his mom said, you know, your brother's about to kill you. You need to leave. And so, I mean, he loads up stuff, but not a ton of stuff, obviously, and, and he leaves. And so it's this it's this dramatic moment of, of kind of, is Jacob's faith going to last personally? Is he going to, I mean, he's left his home and, and, and faith is so intertwined with his family. So he's left his home. But also, if Jacob is the chosen child, what does this mean for for the covenant promises, for the faith of the family, for, for what God's doing? Um, so it's this dramatic moment. And then plus just the scenario of he's laying in the, you know, in the wilderness in a sense, it says a rock is his pillow. I mean, it's just this, I mean, we've all, we've, we've had these moments. Most of us can identify of being alone under the stars. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think you can identify with that a little bit, but it's just this moment. Um, so it's this high drama moment in that sense. But also I think it reminds us of really kind of these themes of Jacob's life of, he, he's not, most of the time, he's not an admirable character. He's kind of a jerk in lots mm-hmm. of ways, um, which honestly is freeing to me to read scripture honestly and be like, I don't really like that guy. You know, and so I, remember I told students in Stillwater, I was like, you can read this and say, I'm not okay with that. You don't have to whitewash everybody in scripture and say they're either good or bad. No, mm-hmm. it, you know, and so it's a moment where you can be reminded that Jacob's, you know, I mean, he's a little bit of a betrayer of his family. He's not a great guy in in every respect. But in the midst of that, God puts this incredible blessing on him. And so I think that's this that's this moment where you say, okay, God's people are still betrayers. They still make mistakes, and yet God blesses them. And God's blessing is just this incredible, you know, I said so far, Jacob's got two things and he stole both of them. We're here. God initiates. Mm-hmm. God's the one who comes to him. I mean, you talked last week, Kevin, when we, when we were looking at Genesis 1 to 15 about how Abraham was sleeping when God says the covenant. Mm-hmm. Here, Jacob's sleeping, mm-hmm. and God does the covenant as well. It's like this theme of like Israelites sleep. That's what they do, and God keeps and his promises. They sleep and steal. Right. So, um, so, so God is the initiator here. Jacob's not up praying, that sort of thing. God initiates and, and gives him this incredible moment of the closeness of the spiritual and the earthly realms. And then he restates the covenant. And so Jacob is, okay, my, what's going to happen to his faith? What's going to happen to the family? And God says, I'm not going to leave you until I do what I say. Um, it's this unconditional, I'm not going to leave you, which Jacob answers with, a, okay, as long as you do this, then I'll worship you. But, but it's this incredible moment of God's restating of the covenant to Jacob. It's huge. And, and in restating it, it's, it's not that he gives Jacob new terms. They don't renegotiate. Uh, I think that's great. I love that. Uh, the sheer handling of Genesis 28, I think, is great uh, and no doubt impactful to the students. Um, you know, Jacob wasn't a model citizen. Um, Joseph himself, in a different way, you get the sense that the covenant can't be fulfilled the blessing can't go through Joseph because Joseph has sort of no ability at one point in life to to do anything for God. He's he gets sent out in captivity and and yet um, you called him an impressive instrument. Mm-hmm. That's a quote. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by that? And and how is Joseph's life a pattern for us who who've lived past you know live now? Yeah. And again, I think this goes back to what Isaiah says says about learning from the patriarchs. We look at these people and say, what can we learn? from them. And so from Jacob, we can learn a little bit of, man, guys who are jerks, 
God's blessing is still for them. You know, he still welcomes them into the kingdom on, not on their own merit. Well, Joseph is, you learn something different. Um, and, and Joseph's no perfect individual. We see some of his mistakes as well. But um, but Joseph is impressive. And, and you look at his story, he's this, I mean, this, this brother who gets thrown into slavery by his own brothers. And then he goes to, he goes to slavery in Egypt and he, and he just works his way up. And so you see that he's this, he's an impressive worker. I mean, clearly he, he, clearly he's good at what he does because he keeps being promoted. You know I mean? Let's just, let's not overcomplicate it. Um, And so he's, he's an impressive worker. He's impressive morally. I mean, when he's serving in his master Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife continues to try to seduce him, and uh, and he it says day after day withstands temptation. So he's impressive morally, um, and then he's impressive when I mean when he gets wrongly accused of um, of I mean, sexual harassment, sexual assault, something in that vein. When he gets wrongly accused of that and thrown into jail, it, it, he continues to be faithful to the Lord and to work hard. So so he's impressive in how he responds to hardship. So, I mean, in a sense, everything he does, he's, he's good at. I mean, people talk about, you know, the Joseph touch. I mean, just he's faithful and he's impressive. And so that's, that's, that's a neat thing to see, but also this, I mean, I use the word instrument because if you look at Joseph's life on some level, he's never in charge. His, his Jacob, his dad uses him for, you know, purposes with his brothers. His brothers throw him into slavery. Potiphar uses him to advance his own interests. Potiphar's wife casts blame on him. The, you know, the warden in the prison uses him. The the other prisoners use him to foretell dreams. Pharaoh uses I mean, over and over again, Joseph isn't in charge. He's constantly an instrument of other people. Um, but what he does is ultimately he sees that he's an instrument of the Lord. And, and he, there's this moment at the end of Genesis 50 where he looks at his brothers and he says, what well, you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. And so I think he's this pattern for us in living to say, live well, but trust that you're not in charge, you know. Try to be impressive in the sense of do right, live the way you should, but recognize that you're not in charge and that you are an instrument of what God is doing. And so I think if our students, if I could get that perspective day in and day out, there's just, there's a lot of freedom in that uh, and yet not freedom without challenge in a sense. It almost circles back to our original conversation of the student testimony in the days when you see fruit and days that you don't. And but you still don't give up being faithful, right? You, you continue to to do what the Lord's put before you with excellence, and you've certainly modeled that very well to to all of us, and um, and probably um, have spent more time studying for the institute and teaching than anyone else um, uh, ever had in, in our organization. And so um, that's great. You're a great example of that. I think you model that well. Um, so we talked last podcast about Jesus and about the Bible being Christocentric. Introduce that word. Um, where do we see Jesus in these stories? Yeah, and um, I won't explain Christocentric at this point, but that is in the the Genesis one to fifteen podcast, which would be a good one to listen to if you haven't yet. Um, there's a there's a little plug for you, but um, here here. So, I mean, really, Genesis is just shot through with this stuff, and it's really, really cool to to dig into this. And so, you know, in Abraham, I mentioned this this moment of sacrificing Isaac, or where God calls him to sacrifice Isaac. And so, that's a moment that we look at and say, um, I mean, what does Abraham do? He has a son that he loves, and he places wood on his back and has him walk up a hill to be sacrificed. I mean, it's so... 
it's the, the similarities to, to Jesus are just astounding. Um, and then even when Isaac gets off the altar and he's saved, the, the emphasis of the story is not, wow, Isaac is saved. The emphasis of the story, Abraham says, is the Lord will provide. And so the story points us to the Lord's provision of a sacrifice. So you have that in Abraham. Then you get to this, this moment in Jacob where, I mean, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending to heaven. And what does Jesus say in John 1 when Philip and Nathaniel, his two disciples, show up? He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's the same phrase. And he says, essentially, I'm the ladder. I'm the pathway from earth to heaven. You know, and I mean, just this astounding moment. And then, and then, I mean, obviously, throughout all of this, through Jacob and Joseph as well, there's the phrase that says the Lord was with him, or, or God says, I will be with my people. Well, obviously, that that is this theme all through Scripture. What is you know, what does the angel say um, in Matthew one? You know, you'll call his name. Oh no, it's referencing the Isaiah seven passage. You know, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, and so it's this phrase, God with us, all throughout the Old Testament um, and through Genesis. And then with Joseph, we we talked a little bit. We've talked before about this idea of typology. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you look at the life of Joseph, and it just shows us so many things about Jesus that you have a a man who was wrongly accused by his brothers, and yet even in that, he was sent ahead to save his brothers and to save his family, and and he's wrongly accused, and yet salvation for his brothers comes through his own suffering, and in the end, he is vindicated. I mean, just over and over and over again. Plus, there's little details like Joseph was sold for pieces of silver in the same way that Jesus was. And, and you know, you can, you can, you have to be cautious not to read too much into some of these things, but, but just the number of, of parallels. And these aren't neat parlor tricks. I mean, these are, wow, look at the wonder of, of God in, in the plan of God. Um, and so those are, I mean, there's just so much, but those are, those are some highlights. Yeah, all of that really ties back to this grand narrative we talk about, mm-hmm. right? You have this constant theme of God bringing glory to himself. He's revealing himself through Abraham, through Jacob, through Joseph, through his children. Um, he's uh, dwelling among, you said it earlier, you know, he's with us. Um, certainly in the Garden of Eden, as we talked last week, God was with them already. There was not this with or without. But then at the fall, you have this sense of, God is either with or for or against, with or without. And the, in the his followers certainly know that. You see that theme play out. We'll see, you know, even later in the Old Testament uh, through the prophets. And um, and he's called out this holy covenant people. The covenant that he made with, with um, Abraham looks at risk in mm-hmm. Jacob, looks at risk in Joseph. And certainly we see, you know, the, the truth of that and then come to play and then um, that they're to be holy people. And that plays out even more as we get into the some later books uh, even more. But uh, but it's great. What a, what a great privilege we get to teach teach the oh, Word. Oh, man. It's so good for me and, and I know for, for others just to sit in the Word and you, you, you come to some conclusions for yourself and you, you study it. And I mean, we don't have all this figured out. I mean, at least I don't. I don't, I don't think you do yet either. But Not even close, um, my friend. You know, and so I, I like teaching new stuff I haven't taught before because it makes me sit in it um, and, and learn it for myself. So. Yeah, the teacher becomes the grand student, right? Well, appreciate your time, Andrew. Appreciate your work uh, a lot. Thanks for uh, teaching Stillwater and um, look forward to future podcasts as we walk through our Old and New Testament survey this year. Looking forward to it. You've been listening to the Lightbears Institute podcast. 
a production of Lightbears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com. Music